Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Today we're going to talk about working out, excuse me, we're going to talk about working out when things aren't working out. You see, quite often when we live a Christian life, things aren't going to work out the way we planned for them to work out or work out the way we envisioned things going. And that can cause us to think, well, at least for me, well, I guess I'm not supposed to do it then, God. I tried it, didn't work out, so I might as well just, just quit. For instance, I told you this year I was going to work on my prayer life. I want to get better at it. I want to do it more. I need to be more intentional about certain types of prayer. And so I did, especially this week. And what I found out this week is that I shouldn't pray while I'm driving down International Road. Because evidently, the state police think it's more important to go the speed limit than they think it is to pray. But it would be silly for me to think, okay, Lord, I prayed this week. I got all caught up in your prayer, but I got a ticket. You must not want me to pray. You must want me to just quit. And that's not what's going on at all, right? Evidently, I need to set cruise control. That's what I got from that. Set cruise control while you pray. If you didn't know that, here you go. But see, I hear excuses like this all the time. Well, I'm not joining a church again because... You know, I was at that one and that thing happened, but yet being committed to a body of believers is extremely biblical. It's what we see people doing all throughout the Bible. I've heard, well, I tried Sunday school once, but I didn't connect with the people. You know, I just, they were weird. I mean, but yet growing in a community of like-minded people and faith is what we see throughout the scriptures. It's, it's, It's really how you grow by connecting to other people. Well, I tried giving once, but then I got caught up and I started to overspend. So I just, you know, that whole giving thing just isn't for me. And yet giving back to the Lord is completely clear throughout the scriptures. Well, I read my Bible once, but I didn't understand it. Well, the Bible never says to understand it. Right? We're told to read it. Now, if you're in King James, that's a whole different conversation, right? Get a newer translation. You may be able to understand it a little bit more. But we're supposed to be transformed and renewed by his word. So not reading it isn't an option. Understanding it is. But diving into it is what we're supposed to do. You see, the truth is, as we grow as Christians, things are going to change. There's no way to know everything about life. So as we grow, as we learn, as we develop, our lives are going to change, which means we're going to have to change the way we do things. We're going to have to change the way we think about things. In fact, in the military, they taught us, and you've probably learned this in business or whatever you do, there's a thing that we all have to do. It's called adapt and overcome, right? You can make all the plans you want. And for you planners, I know everything's supposed to go perfect, but what happens? Actual life. Things happen. And so what do you do? You adjust, you adapt, and you overcome. In the midst of battle, you can't predict everything that'll happen. And when you're in the midst of that, you don't quit because it didn't work out. You don't keep going, know that you may all be killed. 
You adapt and overcome. And the same thing is true in our Christian lives. We're going to have to continually adapt and overcome. You see, this is extremely important because the past couple of weeks we've been learning about the mission of Jesus. We've been learning about our, uh, Jesus' call for all of us to, to share our faith and to be gospel-driven people. We've heard about that the command from Jesus isn't just this idea of sharing our faith, but it's pouring our lives into other people's lives, what, what's called making disciples, helping build each other up. And then last week we learned that we're to leverage, that is take everything we are, who God has made us to be, we're to leverage all of that for the benefit of whom? Other people, right? And it was a command to unity that we better be willing to give up our preferences for others because that's what Jesus did. The divine human being used who he was, God, not for his own advantage, but for whom? For us. He died upon the cross for our sins. So everything we're going to look at today comes right after that great hymn about who Jesus is, the incarnation, that he came, that he died, that he was raised um, again, but also that at every knee, remember, at every knee will bow in front of Jesus one day. So Paul continues. He says this in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, in light of all who Christ is, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now listen, here's what's going on. He's commending them for their obedience in the gospel. What you may not know is evidently Paul was from the south. Say, what do you mean? He's going to commend them, he's going to command them, and then he's going to slam them. Isn't that what happened in the south? I've learned it. Y'all do it to me all the time. You say, hey, great job. You need to get better at it. No, that's just the command. Because nobody likes you, right? Like that's the slam. That's the part that comes at the end. And you're not expecting it. Now when people tell me a good, I do a good job around here, I get scared. You laugh. I don't. I go, what's coming next? What's happening next? This is what Paul's doing. He's committing. He's saying, hey, y'all are doing a great job. And he's going to command them. Here it is, verse 12. Next part. He says, continue to work out your what? We're like, well, hold on. What do you mean? Wait. Wait. Yeah, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, notice he doesn't say work for your salvation. We can't work for it. The work has already been done. And while you and me, we may have to do things twice because we don't get it done right the first time, that's not what was needed for Jesus. Jesus, what he did was done once and for all, the death, the resurrection. We don't have to worry about that part, that the works for salvation have been done. But yet we are called to work out our salvation. This is the command, meaning you and me, we must continually practice, live out, and adjust what it means to be a Christian. Because it isn't going to be easy. We have to strive to be more like Jesus in all areas of our lives. We continue to grow. We continue to put our best foot forward. We continue to adapt. We continue to overcome. We work out what it means to be a Christian as we grow in our faith. Because as Christians, you and me, we are in a spiritual battle. Every day, we're in a spiritual battle. Every day, we face temptations. Every day, we deal with difficult people. Every day, we are tempted to retreat and to run from our faith. You're like, wait, Brian, you mean you too? Yeah, every single one of us are in a spiritual battle. And so we have to be intentional about adapting. Yep, here's where we are. And overcoming that through faith. You see, individually, we have to do this. 
corporately, as a body of believers, we have to do this? If we're going to carry our mission of making and maturing followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to do what he's asked, we have to adapt, we're going to have to overcome, we're going to have to change because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. And we do this with fear and trembling, Paul says. You mean fear? We're to fear God? Yeah. It's the beginning of all wisdom, the Bible tells us. We are to be in awe of God. We are to be humble and submissive because he is God and we are not. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty basic, isn't it? He's God, we're not. So we serve him and we submit to him because of who he is. And he's not done, you see, because God works in our lives. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in, works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Because it's God who's working in you. We are to work out our salvation And God, when we're working out, God's going to work in. He's the one who gives us the power and the desire to actually accomplish his good will. So it's both God doing the work in our lives and us working out our salvation that must be activated, that must be achieved in order for to do this whole Christian life. You see, because here's the truth about the faith and here's the hard part. You and me, we need to do our absolute best to do what God's asked us to do. Try your best to be sinless. What happens when you do that? You're like, man, I can't get this. Exactly. You do your best to figure out that you can't do it on your own. When you can't do it on your own, do you run from your faith or do you run towards God? There's two choices. When you can't do it on your own, then you run to God. You depend upon him. Then when you depend upon him, he'll do a good work in your life. He'll start eradicating stuff. He'll start telling you to get rid of stuff. He'll make you confess. He'll make you get all in your feelings and deal with that stuff that you don't want to deal with. He'll start working in you so then you can work out what it looks like to be a Christian. Our inability to do something should draw us closer to God so he can do a good work in us to then enable us to actually do his purposes. So that is what it looks like to continue out our salvation. Our inability leaves us to depend upon God for everything. And then we figured out that we can't do it, and who do we need? We need Jesus. We need saving. We need to repent. It makes us work out all of those things. So he's commanded them, you're doing a good job. But he commands, excuse me, he commends them. Then he commands them to continue to work out your salvation in all aspects of your life. And then he slams them. And if you pay attention, it should slam you. Because this next part is the direct application to work out your salvation. What do you mean? What do I got to do? I got to pray more? I got to read my Bible more? I mean, what do I got to do, Brian? What does it look like? This has to be easy. Uh Uh-huh. Watch. Ready? Watch, ready? Here it goes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You laugh. The first application for Christians to work out your salvation is what? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, if you had a sin list about things you thought people need to do in order to work out their salvation, what would it say? I already know what they are. I live in the same culture as you. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. But yet in a church, we're full of what? Grumbling and arguing. And it's like, it's okay. 
that's just, they've always been, you know. And Paul's like, no, it's not okay. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling because God's doing a good work in your life. Therefore, because of all of that, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. You're like, that doesn't cause me to be unblameless and unpure, Brian. You can argue with me, but you can't argue with him. Doesn't that bother you a little bit? This, boss, this verse bother you all a little bit? I'm just going to keep reading it until it bothers us all. It needs to bother us. Because this is something all of us can be extremely guilty at thinking it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal that I grumble and argue with my husband. <laughs> Do everything without. Well, it's not a big deal that I grumble at my, at my wife. I mean... Do everything without, I mean, my parents, they just don't understand. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Our attitudes matter. And what if we realized, you, me, we as a church, corporately, individually, apply it both. What if we realized that grumbling and complaining can stop us from being used by God in a mighty way? You're like, Brian, come on, it can't be that serious. But what if it was? What if the Bible's true? What if you believed this as it was true? What kind of difference would it make? He explains why. He says this. Look at the next part. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without uh, fault and a warped and crooked generation so then you will shine among them like stars. Isn't that cool? Shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the words of life. As children of God, you and me, we are to live as shining stars among others. We're to reflect the goodness and the greatness of God in all aspects of our lives. People should be attracted by our character. People should be attracted by how we talk. People should say, man, there's just something different about you. You don't complain and you don't argue and you're positive, full of joy. They're going to say, what medication is it? Because it's not normal. So it's Jesus. Jesus has done this work in my life. It's not me. You, sh- you want to know what I want to do? No, no, it's Jesus doing a good work in me. You see, Paul is using, in this section, it's very important to understand, Paul is using these words to reference the Israel experience in in the wilderness. He's like direct quoting these things. Remember when Moses led the people out of slavery? Remember the Old Testament? God said, burning bush, remember all that? Burning bush, go get my people out of slavery. Moses does that. The people started complaining. And look at how Deuteronomy describes that generation, Deuteronomy 32.5. They are corrupt and not his children. You're like, but they were his people. I know, but their attitudes, they were not his children. To their shame, they are warped in a crooked generation. You see, Paul knows and we know the whole story. Paul is pointing to to the past with these words, with these ideas and said, hey, you remember that generation who God wanted to use? 
You remember they were full of grumbling and complaining, which led them to be a corrupt generation, which led them to not being used by God. And it's helpful for us to remember what they complained about in the, in the wilderness. Remember that? They complained about God's provision. His food ain't good. I want the stuff I had back when I was a slave, Lord. They complained about their leaders. They're not good enough. They're doing it wrong. They're not working out. And I guess we could just assume, I'm going to assume, you can assume with me, that if they're complaining about God and they're complaining about the leaders, you think they're complaining about each other? Well, if someone's complaining about God and leaders, I promise you they're complaining about you too. That's just how that works. So they're just full of complaining and what happened? They missed out on God's blessings for their life. Their attitudes kept them from experiencing God's goodness and it stopped them from literally experiencing the promised land. You see, Paul is still on this issue of unity as a church. And it's helpful for us. This is what the point of the Bible is. It's helpful for us to look back on how God dealt with those attitudes, on how he dealt with those, um, those complaining in that old generation. It's helpful for us to look back and go, you know what? We don't want to be like that. That's what Paul's speaking about. Don't act like that group. You see, they wanted out of slavery. God brought them out of slavery, and what did they do? Complained. Churches say, we want to grow. We want to reach the next generation with the gospel. God sends leaders to the church to help it, and what happens? Wow, we got thunder going on in here today. Mic drop, I guess. Yeah, we complain. Churches complain about their pastors. They fuss about their pastors. You see revolts in churches all the time. It happens. We say, God, send me the person to marry. I just don't want to be alone. I want to find my soulmate. Then we get married. And then what do we do? Only the married people are really uncomfortable. We complain about them. God, I just need work. I got to provide for my family. God gives us a job. What do we do? Oh, but my boss. We complain about God's blessings. We are spoiled. And we assume we are entitled to these things. Rather than being thankful and grateful for the goodness of God, we fuss and we complain. How would that ever reach a person for Jesus Christ? How would that ever help people understand the goodness and greatness of our God? If all we're doing is complaining about his blessings. But rather we are to shine among stars. Our character and our attitudes should reflect our faith and draw people into him, not push them away from him. Because we are to trust God's provision. We are to trust God's leaders. And we are to partner with other people to work with them to carry out the mission of God. Because this is what Paul goes to next. Philippians 2.16. He says, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ. That is, when he's standing before Christ, he will be able to boast about them. He said that I did not run in labor and in vain. He'll be able to boast, God, I didn't waste my time. Those people it took, they told people about you. I saw lives changed. Like he's excited to boast on the day of the Lord about what they're doing, about how they're behaving, that they have caught on and that they are excited about being the people of God. He said, but even if I'm poured out like a drink offering 
on the sacrifice, which means even if he's killed in prison, and service coming, excuse me, and the service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Listen, Paul's not worried about just being saved. Paul's quite content. He's like, he knows he's saved. That, that, that's not the point. He's saying, I can't wait to stand before the Lord and boast about the good works that I've done in other people's lives. You see, Paul knows that as a Christian, what he is going to be held responsible for is his discipleship efforts. That is, he knows he's going to be responsible for how he poured into and helped develop other people to grow in their faith. And the thought that this church had grabbed hold of it and they got hold of it and they're going to work through it brought him joy. He says, I'm going to be able to stand before the Lord and say like, hey, I didn't waste my time. I did a good work. You did a good work in their lives. Like this worked. And if I may speak plainly for one minute, you said you just weren't? No, not yet. Far too many Christians are just content with getting into heaven. Just, I'm just saved. We think that's the goal. It's, 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 it's not. It's part of it, but it's not the end goal of just being saved. You see, Jesus, Paul, Peter, everyone, every biblical account, we see people consumed with living a life for the glory of God and then joining God with what he was doing in the world. This is very important. We join God with what he's doing in the world. Think about it. It's always been this way. Adam and Eve. I created you. I want you to join with me in what I'm doing in this world. Here's my creation plan. Don't eat from this. You can't eat from everything else. Join me with what I'm doing in the world. Noah, the word gone corrupt. God looked for someone who was blameless to save mankind. Noah, join me in building an ark to save mankind. Abraham, I'm going to start a nation. Abram, leave your family, join me with what I'm doing. I'm going to start this new nation. Abram, come on, let's go. Leave everything you know. Go over here, join me with what I'm doing in this world. Moses, he's just living his life, being a shepherd out there, hanging out. Bush caught on fire. He goes to check it out. Hey, Moses, join me in what I'm doing in this world. I want to release those people, your people, you know, the people that you've been ignoring for quite a bit. You haven't forgot. I haven't forgot. Hey, I'm going to send you to go rescue them. Join me with what I'm doing in this world, Moses. Israel, I've saved you. I've made you. I've brought you out of slavery. I want you to share the testimony of my goodness and greatness. Join me in what I'm doing in this world, and I'll bless you. Ignore me. I'll curse you. Deuteronomy 28, you can read all that stuff for yourself. David, minding his own business, shepherding his field, the youngest out of all those brothers, just a little young boy out there being the shepherd in the field. Join me, David, on what I'm doing in this world, and I'll make you a king, and your kingdom will never end. Peter, going about his business fishing, hanging out, doing his thing. Jesus said, come follow me, Peter, and I'll make you fish, um, I'll make you fish for people. Paul, he was quite content throwing Christians in jail. Join me, Paul, with what I'm doing in this world. And I'll show you how much you must suffer for my name. His calling was very different. I don't want that one. From all biblical accounts, we don't see people consumed with getting into heaven. We see people concerned with joining God with what he's doing in this world. I'll join you, God. I'll do what you want us to do. And he calls us and he saves us for this purpose. 
And the great thing is we clearly know what God is doing in this world because he came down to us to show us. God wrapped himself in human flesh. He came down here, walked among us, taught us, paid the penalty for our sin, raised from the grave, and then gave the mission to, hey, go do what I just did. Go invest your lives in other people. Reach people. Tell them that they can be saved, that there is hope, that there's something greater. Go do all of this in my name, and I will be with you. Well, God, will you be, I want to start this business. God, he's like, yeah, okay, cool. But I'm going to be with you here, I said. Where I said I've joined you, that you don't have to be afraid, is getting a part of this mission, living out for your purpose, Help people, reach people with the gospel. Pour your life into them. Let's see life change. Let's see people changed with the gospel. Like, Brian, I, I just want to go to heaven. Okay. But I want you to join with what God's doing in this world. And then you won't worry about going to heaven. You'll know when you'll be excited about your account. About, hey, God, here's what's been happening. Whoo. You sure you want to bring me up here? I was doing great down there, Lord. He's calling you. He's calling me to work out our salvation with fear and trembling in every aspect of our lives. And our attitudes matter when we do this. So how do we do this? Where do we start? Like, what's, what's some tangible, like, what, what's action steps? And here's what I want to talk about. First, listen, start at home. The first place you start with living out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live out your salvation, the first place it starts is at home. And this is something I'm absolutely convinced that must happen for every single one of us. Your first responsibility is to those you live with, those you see every single day. You see, you can fake it with everybody else, but you can't fake it with your spouse, can you? You can't fake it with your kids. So what is your home filled with? You see, the family unit, that closeness with each other, this whole family thing was God's idea. We understand that, right? Like this is his primary starting point for all of it is the family. And imagine if we lived these verses out right here just with our family. What if we did everything without complaining with, to our parents? To our kids? to our spouses, to our brothers and sisters. I'm going to make my kids learn this verse this week. Hey, men, do you do everything without grumbling and complaining? Ladies, do you do everything without grumbling and complaining? Youth, what did you do last time you were asked to take the trash out? Did you do everything without grumbling and complaining? If we live out God's design for the family, the first thing we're going to have to do, deal with is this attitudes and, and how we interact. Because the family unit is the primary avenue for discipleship making. And then who we are there, how we act with them, will then bleed over into everything else we do. You see, the reason why the Bible says qualifications for church leadership that is, deacons and pastors, one of the qualifications is leading your home well. Like the Bible actually writes that in there. Why? Well, Paul says if you can't lead your own family, what makes you think you're going to be able to lead other people? 
If you can't make disciples in your home, what makes you think you can make disciples of other people? If your own kids won't listen to you, if your own spouse doesn't like you, what makes you think anybody else is going to like you? Who you are at home really does matter. And of course, with the caveat, once they're out of your house, that's a completely different conversation, right? You're not responsible for what they do, right? That's not how that works. I got to take personal responsibility. But you understand, it all starts in the home. And so men, fathers, I want you to lean in for a couple of minutes. And we got to talk about this because you are responsible for your home. And this is a massive problem in our churches, in our culture, and in our church, just so we're clear. We have a problem with men taking their responsibility serious and leading their home. Because men, you have been created for this. You have been created to take leadership, and especially spiritual leadership, and responsibility for your family. And quite frankly, we've dropped the ball. Or maybe we've never learned it, but men have been, excuse me, men have become passive and neglecting their responsibility to lead their homes. And before I get emails about this, send them all to Scott, he loves reading those things. Before I get emails about this, because I know it's not popular, let me just say a few things. First, this isn't my idea, this is God's idea. Okay, men being the spiritual leaders of their home, the leaders of their home, this is God's idea. So if you have complaints, take it up with him. Secondly, when we're embracing God's design for the home, I am never saying anything negative about women. Do we understand that? Always remember, I was raised by a single what? Mother. All I've ever seen was strong female leadership in my life. It's all I've ever known. And if, and if, and if what happens when your child has anything to do with what happens when you're adult, then all I can look back to is whom? My mom. My dad wasn't there. So I know what women are capable of, but I know what men are called to. Which brings me to the third point. The reason why this is such a big deal to me is because I know how important a father is because I didn't have a father in my home. I know the consequences. I know the brokenness of men neglecting their families. And for the record, you can be there and not be there, folks. Just because you're working 100 hours a week doesn't, and, and you sleep there doesn't mean you're present at home. Man, we are to take responsibility for our families. And the research is out there, although my mom did her best, the research is out there about, men. if you're not present in your homes leading, it's, it, the research is very clear what happens in the home. Men, you are responsible for this. You have to take it serious. And so, men, for you, working out your salvation with fear and trembling means you are afraid and responsible to God, not of your wife. We take it serious knowing that he's called us to this and he's commanded us to work through this. You say, well, Brian, well, how does this work in real life? I'm not saying what works is go say, woman, go cook me dinner, because Jesus said to. I've tried it. It doesn't work. And if you were to do that, if my wife were to cook for me after I said that, I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> this is very important. But folks, leadership doesn't work that way anywhere. Not if you want a good relationship with other people and a good culture. This idea of just telling people what to do and they jump at your beck and call, 
Nobody does that in leadership or anybody's any good at it. It doesn't work. What it does mean, though, is as husbands and fathers, you take responsibility for what's going on. You take responsibility for the spiritual warfare going on in your family. You take responsibility for leading the way for your family in worship and helping them become equipped and discipled in the faith. And your wife and kids, you say, well, Brian, they know more Bible than me. That's okay. A great mark of a, spirit, of a, of a great leader is hiring people who are smarter than you. Every great leader knows, hire someone who's smarter. Just because they know more doesn't mean they're in charge. It just means they what? Just means they know more. That's okay. You are still to take responsibility and influence and encourage your family to live a life devoted to Jesus Christ. We must be intentional. And for me, I didn't learn about that growing up in the church. I surely didn't learn about it from the home. It's things I've had to work through and learn in other avenues. And maybe you haven't learned it. Maybe you haven't been developed in it. Well, I have great news for you. Starting March 1st at 6.30 for seven weeks, we're going to have a a program here at the church, a, a study for seven weeks on authentic manhood is what it's called. A seven week study I'm calling all men. And as your pastor, I'm asking every single male to come out Tuesday morning at 6.30 for an hour of your life. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall. No, I'm not cooking breakfast. You're a man. Make your own. Maybe we'll have some coffee. But for an hour, we're going to sit down and we're going to learn about what it means, what the Bible says and teaches about masculinity and what's expected of us. Our culture surely isn't helping. And you can take seven weeks out of your life and make this a priority for you. And so I ask you to do this. And I know the whole idea, listen, let's talk about this. I know the whole idea of learning what authentic manlyhood, like if we're like, well, I got to come and learn what it means to be a man, that doesn't sound very manly, right? There's some reason um, we think that learning about these things would somehow make it unmanly. And and I get the whole idea behind it, kind of like, well, not that long ago, let's say a while ago, we'll say a while ago, I was growing this really thick beard. It was really awesome looking. It was amazing. It was very manly. It was getting thick and long. If you can't grow a beard, you can't relate. I understand that. But listen, it was growing thick and it was growing long, and I was so excited about how masculine and amazing it looked. You wonder what guys think about stuff like that. Okay, that's, that's what I was doing. But it was getting so long, it started to curl. And I was like, well, i got to fix this. So I grabbed my wife's hair straightener. Yes, I burned myself, okay? Beside, that's beside the point. So I grabbed my wife's hair straightener, and I started using this hair straightener on my beard, and something happened. Where all the manliness of the beard was taken away by the hair straightener. And I was like, I, like this doesn't work. So it's short. I was like I, can't, like, I can't walk around pretending to be a man knowing I used a hair straightener. Like, it just took, it just sucked it out of me. For some reason, men feel the same way about learning and about needing help and asking for directions. But it's not true. The greatest men get help. I mean, I don't know what your picture of a man looks like, all masculine. Like for me, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what to tell you. Like back in the day, you don't think he had help in the gym? Of course he did. It's okay to get help. It's okay to learn. That's what we do as Christians. And men, I won't waste your time. Seven weeks, I promise it's going to be worth your time to come out and learn together. Because our neighbors, our first neighbors is our home. And men, we got to get better at this. 
we got to take responsibility and learn together. Because the family unit is the first place we live these things out. And ladies, we're working on some things behind the scenes for you to help you. But the truth is, if it wasn't for our ladies, our churches wouldn't be here. They're the ones who've stepped up for generations and, and kind of led the charge. But we have to change that. We have to get our men back involved in the homes and back involved with spiritual things. But for parents, all of our curriculum is designed to partner with you and reinforce Christian values here at the church and back at home. And marriages, working on a marriage ministry now that we hope to launch very soon to help invest in, in, in marriages and help those. I say all of this to say as part of our ministry strategy here at the church is to equip you for a, spirit, a life of spiritual passion in the family. We want to help you with that. We want to help you grow in that, and we're working towards that. But the first place, the point was, if you remember, the first place you live out your salvation, you work out your faith, is in the home with the people you live with, with your family. And then we go to where we live, our communities, to where we work, and to where we play. We live lives without grumbling and without complaining. We live these lives for the glory of God, and we share our faith, and we help people know Jesus, and we are intentional about who we are and who Christ has created us and is who Christ is transforming and to live out what it looks like to be his handiwork in all aspects of the faith. And then as a church... If you were going out to your families, making disciples, living a life glorifies God, and then you go out to your workplace and the ball fields and everything else you do, you live for the glory of God, it's going to be exhausting, it's going to be tiring, and then you circle back into the church where you're uplifted and where you worshiped and where you're equipped to be sent back out into your life and to the people you influence to share with your faith and share about the glory of God. You see, we think somehow, and I don't know when this happened, we think we come here to do the Christian thing. We come here to be equipped and to be challenged and to be um, reminded what the Christian thing is to go and live it out there. That's where our responsibility is, folks. We don't come here to be Christians. We come here to be encouraged and equipped to go be Christians, to go share our faith and help others grow in theirs. So in closing, listen, all of us fall short of God's design for this world. Our sin wrecks havoc and causes hopelessness. And in light of that, we move to all sorts of different things to feel better. We invest or we develop or we kind of go all in on these other areas, whether it's work, whether it's our hobbies, whether it's whatever, that distract us from that hopelessness to make us feel better. But the good news is that Jesus has come to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave to usher in a new life. And he calls us, you and me, to repent. That is, stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in him. We believe what he says is true. We believe the gospel. And then the gospel allows us to recover our purpose and his design for our lives. And so maybe for you, maybe you need to repent this morning, this morning from not living a Christian life at home. Maybe you've dropped the ball being a father, being a husband. Maybe you've dropped the ball being a wife or a daughter, whatever that looks like. Maybe you've just missed it. That's okay. We've all missed it. You can turn from it. You can repent from it and choose to live differently today. Maybe your life has been full of grumbling and complaining. How would people describe you? Joyful or Joyless. You can repent from that. You can turn and live differently today. 
And maybe you've just ignored the whole idea of joining what God's doing in this world, making and maturing disciples. Maybe it's the day you say, you know what, I want to get more involved in that. Wherever you are, just know things don't always work out the way you want it to work out. And when we're working out our salvation, God will do a good work in our lives. God will show up and help us. We just keep pressing on. We adapt and we overcome. He will finish the good work that he started. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and just ask for your help. Father, help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us continue to apply the gospel in every aspect of our lives. Father, we trust that you're doing a good work in us. You are empowering us and you are using us for your glory. But Father, we admit that at times our attitudes are terrible. We grumble and complain. And quite often we grumble about our blessings, Lord. Forgive us. Father, I pray for all the men here who are charged with leading their homes. I pray you use our church to help equip them to be the leaders you've called them to be. And I pray they respond, Lord, that they step up and join the other men of this church to work out what it means to be leaders in the home. All for your glory. Father, we love you and we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.